there are a lot of misconceptions about ETMF technology where small life science companies are concerned. It's too expensive, comes with too many unnecessary bells and whistles, and is extremely complex to integrate. So for these small companies, it really comes down to one key piece of guidance. Keep it simple. So today on the state of TMF, our expert panel is going to discuss all things ETMF with life science companies in mind. From how to select a vendor to making sure you have robust processes in place to support your new technology. ETMF Tech should help you bring treatments to patients faster, not complicate the process. The state of TMF is officially in session. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the State of TMF Live. We've got a really interesting session today, so I'll let everybody fold in. We're going to be doing a bit of a panel-style discussion on a really interesting topic. Um, if you guys have questions throughout, uh, please throw them into the chat. We'll try and tackle them as we as we come. Um, and uh, just maybe a brief introduction. So for those that don't know me, my name is Oliver Pierce. I'm a Director of Growth Marketing here at Montreal. Um, Maybe I'll let my co-hosts introduce themselves. Paul, do you want to maybe say a few words? Sure. Hey, uh, everybody. Nice to see you again on uh, this uh, latest episode. Uh, I'm Paul Fenson, CEO of Montreal, getting towards being a veteran now, I think, in, in the TMF space. I'm really excited to talk about um, TMF technology and, and where it's come from, and more importantly, how we can better support maybe smaller organizations. So, All right, Christina. Hi, everyone. Uh, nice to see you. Um, everyone, our guests on uh, the podcast today. Um, my name is Christina Menzeros. I am the head of uh, clinical uh, solution strategy at Montreal. Um, I have a background in uh, clinical operations, been at Montreal for um, about six years now, um, and uh, excited to, to join again today and uh, discuss uh, about ETMF tech for small organizations. Exactly. Thank you. So, just to kind of remind everybody of the subject of the, today's discussion, there won't be a presentation. It's really an open uh, format for us to just have a discussion around a topic that we think really needs to be addressed in, in the industry. And, and the title of today's discussion is, is ETMF technology working for smaller organizations? So we're going to tackle a lot of different subjects. We're going to go start by going back into the, the past a little bit and talking about where we've come from, and then also maybe hopefully finish with where we hope to be in the future. Um, so maybe we can sort of just kick off the discussion in an area that I think will remind those that have been in the space for a long time, um, especially yourself, Paul, about sort of where we've come from, from a TMF technology perspective. So would love just to pose the question, when we think about ETMF technology as it is today, it might be quite different from where, where we originally started, even some of the software vendors that were once maybe entering the, 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 the ETMF space all those many years ago are no longer here anymore uh, and our technology has changed. Paul, what, what have you seen over your tenure in the TMF space? So I, so when I first started my career, I was, um, I was in data management and it was kind of the beginning of EDC. Uh, so this is like 1999, 2000. Yeah, we were still using modem to transfer data from sites and stuff like that. Um, and um, EDC then really sort of took off and became very mainstream by about you know, 2010. Uh, and obviously leveraged um, better connectivity through uh, uh, the internet. Um, I think that TMF has sort of, uh, or is following a similar trajectory. So when we look at um, ETMF 10 years ago, number one, there wasn't that much of it. Number two, we didn't always call it ETMF. 
Um, quite often we used to call it, you know, like the regulatory repository or the regulatory management system. And it was all about documents and it was all about archiving and uh, having a place where we could safely store electronic documents, which was starting to become more and more prevalent uh, in our environment. Um, but we were still also very much in a, in a paper world. Now, the companies that were sort of pioneers in having ETMF systems were the larger companies, and they were using systems like Documentum. I mean, everyone had Documentum. It was kind of the main system. It was a bit like Oracle Clinical in the data management world at the beginning. Yeah, everyone, everyone used Oracle Clinical. It was the same kind of thing. You know, this big piece of software, it was all on-premise. It was in extremely expensive uh not only to purchase licenses but also to to install because you had to install it on premise so you had to buy all these servers and qualify them and then install them and then qualify that and they configure it and then qualify that and it was just a very very long drawn out process and i was involved in some of those projects um more as a consultant and it would take you know, years it would take years to put it in place crazy uh, and at the end of the day, what we had was really just a document repository that was compliant and that allowed us to search for documents uh, to put in place a certain structure. Um, but it wasn't that much more than a file share. And there was there was a bit of workflow, but the workflow tended to be kind of clunky uh, and uh, and quite difficult to uh, to, to implement. Um, there are other systems out there as well, like LiveLink, that was also kind of similar to Documentum being used maybe by smaller uh, organizations. And then there was also First Docs, which I'm not sure what happened to First Docs, but it was also kind of uh, one of the front runners to start to to put in place HMF technology. Um, but, you know, for smaller companies at the time, it was it was kind of impossible to put that kind of thing in place because it was just too, too much work and too expensive uh, to be able to put such a system in place. And so they tended just to stick with paper. Yeah. No, I think that's what, you know, especially in the last 10 years that I've been in this space, even when I first kind of entered the TMF space, the the, the technology, like you mentioned, the documentums of this world and some of the sort of larger document management systems, you know, we were dealing with, of course, a lot of on-premise deployments. So for some of the technical folks on the line, you know, on-premise, meaning that we're installing that software, you know, at your company, on a server, on a machine. And inherently that brought along with it a huge amount of IT burden, uh, a huge amount of complexity, right? You needed larger teams to be able to implement that. Validation became a much, much you know larger part of that project. And it wasn't too odd to see implementations of those, those early ETMF systems taking a year, a year and a half, two years, or even longer, depending on what you were trying to, to, to achieve. And I think that that really prevented smaller organizations from gaining access to that technology, right? And I think ultimately that's when we started to see SaaS solutions start to come in into play. One of the questions I always have for myself is, you know, the promise of SaaS was that it would lower the barrier to entry for smaller organizations because there was a shared responsibility with your vendor. You didn't have to install anything at your organization. It was all web-based. You know, we could streamline this and streamline that. Question I have is like, is that has that barrier been lowered enough? I'm curious to hear what my co-hosts have to say about you know the promise of SaaS and whether we've lived up to that promise. I mean, like Christina, I could just, <laughs> and she's got the answer for that. Well, I think that 
um, what's some an interesting um, thing that has happened in in the ETMF world is that even just when I joined Montreal, I came to Montreal from an organization that was using paper TMF, and that was just you know a little over six years ago, right? And uh, then I remember thinking like we don't we're still not seeing a lot of companies uh, adapt to an electronic TMS. People are still trying to use you know hybrid in-house uh, file share or even like uh, still using paper. But today we do see that there's the majority of uh, of organizations, even smaller organizations, that are looking to to purchase an ETMF and are interested in in uh, electronic uh, systems. So in that sense, that it's gained a bit of popularity, but I I do see that the barrier to entry is is still not low enough for uh, smaller organizations. In that, you know, sometimes we don't under they don't understand exactly what they need um, in ETMF functionality. Uh, it could be something that's you know very simple, right? Where they're looking for simple workflows, or potentially not even looking for workflows at all, right? They're just a, a place where they can file their documents uh, simply, that it's organized, it's in a validated system, it's easily retrievable. And so uh, in that sense, I think that um, you know, th there's still a bit of a barrier uh, for, for companies who are not totally understanding uh, exactly you know, what they're looking for. And again, uh, it, uh, the onus is also on ETMF vendors to, to be able to um, advise you know, those smaller organizations uh, on the the type of configuration that they need. Yeah, absolutely. I think like the obviously that promise of SaaS gives us that ability to you know we're moving from big big annual cost um, to implement on premise software to sort of monthly subscriptions, the kind of Netflix style um, approach to to software. But but in in reality, maybe we, we you know we haven't really uh, got there yet from a, from an industry perspective. I think. Paul, you know, you and I talk about this all the time. You know, you, you now there are so much, there's so much technology on offer to sponsors, to CROs, to clinical teams that are looking to implement systems like this. You could throw a rock and hit 10 ETMF vendors. But the, the challenge still remains, I think, that, you know, over the last, you know, since those systems have, have been implemented, you know, costs haven't necessarily gone down all that much and they've continued to creep up in recent in recent years when it comes to implementing that technology just purely from a cost perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I think that when we when we look at most of the vendors out there, the the implementation phase is is quite comprehensive because they're trying to cover a lot of different functionality. And in reality, and and yeah, we 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 actually got some metrics on this. We looked at our client base and we looked at size of client and and use of, of system features. Um and we realized that um a lot of the, the really small clients actually use a fraction of the system features, and yet they still went through onboarding for the full <laughs> the full set of features, which requires a lot of time in training and user acceptance and all of that stuff. Um, and uh, of course, you know, you you pay for that. You know, there's there's always a cost to that. And so, one thing that we 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 realize is that well, maybe we need to sort of adjust um, the offering a little bit. And so it's more uh, aligned with the features that they truly use. Um, and I also think that when we look at smaller organizations, quite often they're working with a third party, right? They're working with CROs and the CROs are doing a lot of the stuff. And so in, in reality, their, their use cases are fairly limited. You know, they need to be able to ensure the long-term retention of the records. They need to be able to go through an inspection with those records. 
um, they need to have oversight. But there's a lot of stuff that's being done by the CRO, and so maybe there's an opportunity here to come up with something that's a little bit more pared down, more aligned with their specific needs, uh, and also more more affordable because we're not spending as much time onboarding and, and supporting those clients because they have such a limited uh, use case. And so I think yeah. that's that's something that we don't see necessarily uh, in all vendors across across the industry. And I think it's is something that is um, is needed, you know, by this this uh, this uh, segment of uh, of companies that are really in startup mode. You know, they're not huge companies. They're they're sort of they're maybe in phase one, going into phase two, or they're early phase two, and they've maybe got one 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 molecule. You know, so they, these are not huge organizations. Uh, and I think that today's offerings are, are kind of overkill. Uh, we need to come up with something better to better support those 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 emerging companies. Yeah, and I think that there's you know you mentioned obviously the scope of use of the system as being sort of a key enabler for uh, you know, these smaller organizations being able to access uh, more affordable solutions, right? Like kind of paring down and really thinking critically about what you need. I think one of the things that sticks with us internally a lot is this concept of um you know inspection readiness isn't achieved through technology right like technology is an enabler for inspection readiness but it you know there's nothing in the regulation that says you need this feature and this feature and this feature from this vendor to be able to be inspection ready and i think sometimes we get carried away um in this space you know we go to conferences and we we speak to people and peers that have this feature and this feature and then we think oh well we need all of that too if we want to be inspection ready but in, in reality, you know, where I'm coming from here is I think the process is more important than the technology, right? Like that's the way you need to be spending most of your time and effort and money perhaps. And what you need from a TMF technology is, is actually something much more simple that maybe evolves over time. You know, as your process evolves, your organization grows, maybe you need additional functionality. But I think, you know, sometimes we bite off more than we can chew, right? To start off with. I think that's... Um, a really good point for um, about uh, you know the system won't fix your having an electronic system or an electronic system with this bell and this whistle will f fix your problem. But you know um, the system a system will never make people more compliant to procedures. And so I think that that's a really important point. We see it with our smaller um, customers as well. The where we're you know they're saying I I really need. I don't want my users to fill in this this field or this metadata because like it's not you know they're they're not filling it in correctly or you know whatever uh, it may be but it's it's really about it doesn't mean that having an electronic system will will replace you know some of the the training and and the investment in time that that goes into the framework of uh, of an ETMF and so I think that that's um, you know a really important a really important point where we we've told our customers. You know, if you are if you're trying to fit a you know, sort of a square into a square peg in a round hole, like maybe it's time to look at the, your processes and and see where where those can be optimized as well. Um, because once you have a, an ETMF that that's working for you, um, you might think that you want to try and fit uh, your your process. You have a process and you're trying to fit that into the TMF, where it should sort of be the opposite. Now you're, you're changing your uh, um, your outlook on how to manage documents, look at the processes again and try to uh, uh, optimize those so that they work for, for you. Yeah. 
And I think that there's, you know, like we touched on a couple of different things here and I want to keep on this track of like, how do we make ETMF tech more accessible and affordable to smaller organizations? Like we talked about, you know, like uncomplicating the, the implementation process, trying to kind of uh, take the complexity away, uh, reducing the scope of how you'll use the system will, will have an impact on that, but also, you know, uh, all of the other connected costs to using software. I think there are other things even before you implement an ETMF system that can actually reduce the potential cost and the barrier to implementing technology. And I think a lot about how we select ETMF systems today, right? And in our kind of pre-prep call discussion, we talked about a couple different things. And one of the things that you mentioned, Paul, which I want you to kind of explore a little bit is, is, is around audits and vendor due diligence and things like that. You know, what are some of the things that smaller organizations can do to be able to you know, reduce the, the, the barrier by, by maybe re-looking their vendor qualification process. Yeah. So obviously, um, if you're a small organization, it doesn't take away from the fact that you're ultimately responsible for ensuring that the systems that you're using uh, meet their intended use and that you've done adequate due diligence uh, on those systems, either through your own validation or through verifying that the vendor that you're working with has done adequate validation. Uh, of that system. And so I think that, um, number one, um, TMF is, is TMF is TMF. You know, we've got the TMF reference model, pretty much every single organization I know follows it. Um, and more and more that model is now moving towards becoming a standard for the industry, um, that is recognized by regulators. Um, and so we should not be deviating from that in the first instance we should just be following it as much as we can and i know that it's not necessarily perfect and sometimes you need to have a few workarounds but in terms of system configuration i would not change it i would just leave it as is um because as soon as you start changing things in, in a system it creates um uh, the need to do additional verification that the changes you made are, 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 have been done properly and that, that it works in relation to your process so I definitely think, first of all, if you're a small organization, use the system as it as it's been defined, as it as it's been configured, without making any significant changes. And that's already going to reduce your burden because you can say, well, I'm using the system out of the box. You know, I'm not I'm not making any changes to it. Uh, and most SaaS vendors want you to use it in that way anyway because it just makes things a lot simpler. And the second thing is, you need to be able to leverage all of the work that the SaaS vendor has done because. The SaaS vendor has has actually gone through and done all of the verification, done all of the testing on that system and user acceptance testing as well to make sure that it meets its intended use based on the requirements that were defined. Um, and so you should be leveraging that. Now, the way to leverage that is obviously you need to do due diligence. Um, and usually due diligence is traditionally has been done via an audit, right? So you send an auditor used to be on site more and more, it's remote, you know, since COVID. Um, but it's still quite a big expense to actually get an auditor to, to review all of that, that documentation, and then also look at all of the procedures and the controls that are in place. So, um, I think first and foremost, what you should do is you should, you should speak with your, your vendor and say, okay, well, what can I leverage in terms of your documentation, which will enable me to demonstrate that this system meets its intended use. And so. Yeah, we provide access to our system documentation to our clients so that they can leverage it and shove that to an inspector or to an auditor if required. Now, there's also other things that you can look at. So 
more and more we have certifications today. So we have like SOC2 certifications, we have ISO certifications. All of these things uh, require a certain number of processes and standards be in place for information security and a whole bunch of other sort of more technical controls. Um, so you can also leverage that as um, due diligence. You can say, well, you know, these guys are certified uh, 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 or, or at least they're on a certification path. And therefore, I know that they have all of these different processes in place. I think you should also ask about, okay, well, what, um, what else can you give me which will demonstrate what controls you have in place? And so we, for example, have a document that describes all of the different controls, both within our system as well as procedural, that allow us to meet the intended use and also meet requirements of things like 21 CFR Part 11 and Annex 11. So, so the bottom line is the, the vendor, the software vendor, has done a lot of work for you. And if you use the system as it is, in reality, you don't really have to do much at all. And, and you definitely, I don't think, need to necessarily go on site and do an audit. Um, you can also, you know, you could send a questionnaire or you can ask the vendor, sometimes, and we have this, do they have a questionnaire that's already completed? You know, a quality questionnaire that you can access. You know, that's also something that, that that's quite possible. Um, and so I think you can do a, you know, a minimal amount of due diligence just by looking at what's available from the vendor and speaking with the vendor and understanding what they've done uh, to to be able to to really sort of save costs up front because yeah, due diligence is expensive and user acceptance testing can be very time consuming and also expensive. Yeah, and also was a long, you know, a long answer. I apologize. That was a long answer. Favorite subject. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know, obviously, like like Paul mentioned, right? Like the the, the idea here is like let's identify strategies in which we can, uh, you know, reduce the cost of of using ETMF, ETMF technology. And part of it starts with you know selecting and implementing the vendor. And 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 I think that's part of of the the due diligence, right? Is like how can I streamline that? Can I leverage any certifications that the vendor has? Can I look at pre filled audit questionnaires can i forego on-site audits that either i might need to pay for or that may i may end up paying for anyway because the vendor will pass it on to me um and is there a way that i can access any other documentation that the vendor is providing to be able to streamline that process more often than not if you're working with a with a with a, a reputable vendor they're going to have all of that documentation ready for you and you're going to be able to review it and forego some of those sort of more lengthy and costly processes. Paul, you had a... I'd two, two other uh, follow-up points there as well. There's, there's, there's one thing that I think is also very useful and that's what we call a quality agreement, um, which the regulators are looking for more and more. And a quality agreement basically defines well, which parties are involved in ensuring the, 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 the quality of the system um, and the protection of the information contained within um, and what are the responsibilities of each of these parties? And that's a really useful um, document to have. And we're more and more now providing that to our clients as the documentation that they have to, to demonstrate due diligence. Um, and then um, the the other thing um, that I wanted to mention is, you know, there's due diligence at, at the initial uh, uh, acquisition of the, the solution, but also changes happen over time. So, you know, we update software on a regular basis. Um, and so make sure you have a process in place as well so you can continue to leverage the documentation over time. And it's important that the um, the software vendor uh, provides you access to you know the change control documentation and, and the other um, system documentation or, or changes to process 
uh, over time. So you want to have a really good discussion about them uh, with them about that when you're actually uh, selecting the vendor. Exactly. So let, let's talk about, no, no, that's great. So let's talk about selecting the vendor because I think that there's another area here that we can reduce some of the burden and ultimately cost and lower the barrier to entry here. And I think that's that settles on something that we love doing in life sciences, which is RFPs and RFIs. And I've been dying to talk about RFIs and RFPs for many, many years. Um, but but I think, um, and 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 um, by, by no means am I saying that they're, they're not a useful tool. They certainly can be a useful tool in projects that have a certain level of complexity or a level of risk that requires you to go in and, and really evaluate every sort of feature and function that a software provider has or you know part of their service that they provide. But if we think about this profile of organization, you know, the smaller company that's maybe looking to use sort of a smaller scoped version of, a, of an ETMF system, something lighter with less functionality perhaps uh, that's initially being used, do we need to go through that sort of long and and complex process that sometimes maybe we also need an external consultant to support us with. Do we need to do that if the scope of the system is is reduced? Do we need to go through that if the vendor is reputable and has hundreds of, of customers that are that are using it? As, you know, all of those things I think come into this. Christina, Paul, would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, sort of the need for RFIs and RFPs as part of vendor selection with that sort of smaller organization in mind. Yeah, I think that uh, I totally agree with you, Oliver. I mean, if you're thinking about um, cost cutting or saving costs, uh, it's it would be the first place I think to 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 cut in in terms of the search for uh, your ETMF vendor. I think a lot can be done today through uh, demonstrations and um, your know, references as well. If uh, your ETMF vendor is able to to provide you with those, and you can speak with other people who are using it uh, similarly to you. Um, it seems that there's a lot of different options that would uh, be able to simplify that process uh, for for a small organization, and then you could put you know whatever you've uh, saved there into something else that would bring you a lot more value. Yeah, right. No, I I definitely agree. Um, you know, getting sort of firsthand references and experiences from others should be useful because um, I think you get a lot from that. Because yeah. I, I used to be a consultant. I used to do the system selection, and we used to have that, you know, that, that really cool spreadsheet with all of the requirements and all the scoring and all of that stuff. And quite often, what would happen is we would get to the end of the, that process, which you know is trying to be very objective, right? And we come up with the scores, uh, and then you've got an obvious winner. But then the team still then says, "Oh, actually, we just didn't really feel that we want to work with them guys anyway, so we're going to choose this one." So it's quite often it can be a bit of a uh, a futile exercise. So I think I think if you are going to do it, then keep it simple. Like you don't want to be sending, you know, two hundred questions in this very complicated uh, spreadsheet because you're not going to be able to process that information. You don't have time to do that. You, you know, you're you're trying to run a startup drug company. You don't want to be spending hours and hours and hours. So it's I think speak to speak to your industry colleagues. What are you guys using? Yeah, how is it going for you? Uh, you know, get first-hand experience, maybe come up with this, you know, you could come up with a simp simplified list of key features that are really important to you. Uh, and, and even use cases, I think, are better. So describe a use case. So how do I want to use the system for what I need to do based on my reality? And and start with that. Um, 
and I think you know, the, the 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 goal is you don't want to be spending you know, twenty thirty thousand dollars on consultancy fees to go through this really long drawn out process, which doesn't really give you much at the end because you know a lot of it's it's not just about features; it's also about the relationship and, and your connection with the vendor, and do you feel that you can work with them, and are they going to be a partner for you? Yeah, that's that's really important, and that's kind of it's not always completely objective; it's also a bit subjective. Yeah. You know? so. Yeah, pinch of salt. Pinch of salt. Yeah, <laughs> not something that your RFP score gives you either. Right? But... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to to do it in RFP score. Exactly, and you like Paul, you said like the, you, you're always going to get those those individual teams that say, oh, well, you know, even though this vendor scored better, I kind of like the idea of working. That, like this this other vendor has a better culture and that aligns with the working culture of our team or whatever it might be, and then it it throws the the whole exercise kind of into you know, to, to fluctuation, right? And it makes it a little bit more yeah. difficult. So I think that's really useful advice is like, if you want to do so and you feel like, you know, you want to list a sort of smaller set of questions, you can, you know, like if you're going to sign up for Netflix, it's unlikely you're going to set an RFP to Netflix. Like you, everybody uses it. So you're, you're pretty confident in what it's going to give you. You're pretty sure it meets your requirements. But if you're getting a new insurance provider, well, you're probably going to ask a few more questions because it has a different impact on, on you and it has a different level of risk. And I think that's the way we have to approach ETMF systems. If the scope is small, there's confidence in the vendor, you've got references, all that kind of stuff. You can keep the level of kind of uh, requirements, uh, verification, you know, uh, to, to a minimum and, and, and kind of leave that to the, to, to the rest of the, the, the team. All right, so let's move on. We've talked a lot about how can we make it more accessible. I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, we talked about this ETMF light a lot. We've talked about the, the kind of the idea of having a sort of smaller scope to functionality, but what does that functionality look like? And here I'm also looking for some engagement from the audience. So if you agree, disagree, if you have ideas on what this ETMF light system should look like, throw it into the chat. Love to see what's going on, but I'd love to throw it maybe to Christina first. What do you think that kind of light, uh, smaller scoped ETMF system needs to look like in terms of um, capabilities and, and features? I think it's, I mean, basically everything that you, the minimum that you need to meet regulatory regulatory requirements. So we're looking for, you know, a validated system, a user-friendly interface that's really simple to use, um, document upload, uh, obviously audit trails, um, search and retrieval, very important for, for most uh, small organizations. Um, maybe collaboration tools and signatures, but again, we see that some uh, small organizations are not heavily using that. Um, and so I think that Really, like it, it boils down to a very simple list of uh, of features. Um, another thing that is important for small organizations is they might not always be small. So scalability is uh, something that's important as well. You might not want to use these features today, but you know that they're there. You know that you can turn them on when you need them. Um, and so as your organization continues to grow, you want your systems to be able to support that growth. Um, and you can potentially activate some of those features you were not previously using. So. A bit of both on that uh, on that end. No, I would add, um, you know, if you look at the, the the reality of most of these kind of emerging or growing, um, you know, biotech or small pharma, even small CROs, but primarily biotech, small pharma, a really important need of theirs is 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 easy migration of content because quite often they'll get to the end of the study and you know, the CRO is saying, "Here we go," you know, this is this is your CMF, you know. You need to take you need to take care of it now for the next twenty years, and they're like, okay, how do we how do we do you know, how do we do that? How do we get this into the system? 
how do I how do I know that what I what I'm getting is complete? Um, yeah, uh, and it's going to be acceptable, if, you know, if I'm inspected. So having sort of better tools around migration and and sort of evaluation of the TMF that's coming in is I think kind of useful for those smaller organisations. Um, and it may be that it's a combination of technology and again uh, services uh, where you can you can sort of rely on experts who can actually just look at you know this is what the CRO is giving you just doing some 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 sanity checks on it does it make sense you know what you're getting because some organizations may not have enough um, knowledge around TMF to properly evaluate you know it's is it going to be sufficient or not because you don't want to be in a situation where you bought a TMF in you've you've been protecting it for the last year three or four years you're getting to your your pivotal phases you know your you, you, your program's going really well you're about to do your NDA and then they're looking at, yeah, they're inspecting and they want to go back to one of these previous studies and all of a sudden you're missing information and the CRO is not around all the people that were working on your study at the time and no longer around and they say, oh my God, what do we do here? So it's, it's kind of critical for those organizations when they're putting their TMF in. So let's, let's find better ways of making migration more, more, more efficient, more effective, simpler more cost effective as well, because it can be quite expensive. I know that's an area that we're focusing a lot on, uh, migration and then even me professionally in the industry, I'm focusing a lot on interoperability and trying to improve and standardize interoperability because it, it, it can be standardized. We do it all the time in, in clinical data management. Why not in chairman? So that's a really important thing. And then also making sure that they have uh, either the knowledge or access to properly evaluate what they're receiving so that they can flag to the CRO, this doesn't seem right. I think we're missing this early on while the people are still there. You know, that's that's super important. Um, so those are my two uh, additional things I wanted to add to what, what the CRO is saying. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the chat is uh, on fire right now with lots of uh, lots of questions and suggestions <laughs> um, for, what, uh, for what this... Uh, sort of simpler ETMF system will will look like. Um, what I'd love to do now is is maybe kind of, one of the things I think that's tied to capabilities is that there's probably a, a whole bunch of people on the line here that have that have in the past or maybe are today using and have implemented a CTMS system that has some document management functionality and are asking themselves or have asked themselves a question in the past, you know, is this sufficient? Is this what this ETMF like, looks like? Paul, what are your thoughts there? I've had that question so many times over my career. Um, so in my opinion, in the, in the vast majority of cases, uh, CTMS is CTMS that's used to manage a study and track what's going on in a study. It is not an ETM. Uh, and the document management features usually are quite rudimentary. Um, and I'm, and I use more for sort of managing things like site startup. Because science startup, you know, we know that there's like a, a whole bunch of documents that are kind of critical that we need to have in place. Those documents live in the TMF, but the TMF is so much more than that. You know, it's a very sort of large uh, uh, group of different documents from all different areas of the business that all need to be organized in a very specific way and managed over time. And CTMS doesn't usually have the functionality uh, or the mission to, to do that. And so I don't think it's a good idea necessarily to leverage CTMS as your ETMF. 
you will, you'll also not get things like the metrics that you need to track around completeness and quality and, and you know, that whole process around QC and all those things that are kind of important to TMF that just don't exist in CTMS. So if you're a small organization, um, I would actually uh, invest first in TMF before investing in a CTMS, because in reality, you're probably working, uh, a lot with CROs and the CROs have their own CTMS and they actually have their own process as well. And they prefer to use their own process and that will keep costs down if you allow them to do that. So I don't think you necessarily need a CTMS as a small organization. Now, obviously over time, as you grow, it might make more sense as you start to bring more and more clinical operations in house. But initially I would focus more on getting a really good TMF system in place, which will allow you to properly manage your trial master files ready for inspection uh, and also sort of starting right from the get-go you know from phase one you've already got all of your information really well organized in a tmf it's also useful of course to have all of that, that information really, really well organized for due diligence by investors and let's face it as an early phase company you're quite reliant on raising new rounds of finance uh, funding uh, and they want to look at your, your science, right? So they're going to look at your data, but they're also going to look at documentation that's being held potentially in the TMF or in your regulatory system. And so really important to have that super well organized so that you come across as a well organized organization that they can feel confident in, um, CTMS won't necessarily give you that. So, and I guess also from a, an inspection perspective too, Paul, like are you, would you want, uh, you know, is there a risk there that if you've got your your full TMF and your, you know, your CTMS together in one place, you know, is the, if they're in coming in and, and, and are reviewing the, the TMF, does that run the risk of maybe seeing things that you don't want them to see that's in the CTMS or? Well, I mean, it's possible. I mean, <laughs> uh, I think it depends on the organization, but, um, usually, I mean, within the ETMF, we, we typically have a, a, an inspector profile running, which is clearly defined. You can control exactly what you know, what's being accessed and you can track what's being accessed in CTMS. CTMS does contain the information that potentially is ETMF relevant and therefore inspectable, um, but not all of it. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think you, you need to be careful about that. If you, you know, and especially in Europe, they can ask for access, you know, direct access to everything. <laughs> um, you know, usually, I think you just need to be careful. I'm not suggesting that you're doing anything inappropriate, but. You know, there's just a lot more stuff you're going to have to check uh, before your inspection if you're if you're providing access, you know, full access to the CTMS. All you only need to be able to find a profile within that CTMS. Yeah. All right. So let's um, wrap it up on one last question that I have for all of you, which is really centered on how ETMF or how can ETMF technology evolve in the future to better support the needs of, of smaller organizations? What is this kind of um, kind of dream state, this future state, one that, of course, we're trying to architect ourselves as an ETMF vendor, but what does that, that future look like, you know, for the smaller organization? I think the, the bottom line for that is really about paying for, being able for them to pay for what they use. Um, uh, uh, you know, we're not trying to, um, if there's a small organization who's just looking to do something simple, there's no need for um, overselling or you know, having them uh, implement uh, these uh, features that maybe they'll use, you know, five years from now. Um, and so really just being able to scale down and accommodate the needs of smaller organizations 
um, things like adding a little bit more automation, potentially having um, mobile compatibility, compatibility, if that's something that's, uh, you know, uh, easier for smaller organizations to use. Um, having integrated training and onboarding, like directly in the system, or maybe needing very minimal um, training and onboarding because of the the uh, decreased uh, um, scope there. Yeah. Also, thing things like um, you know, integrating like micro learning and stuff like that into the environment mm -hmm. could be useful because I think a lot of a lot of uh, these these sort of emerging um, organizations don't have a lot of experience uh, in TMF, and so and they don't necessarily have a lot of time to sit through like a you know a two day conference or you know a big training course. Um, mm -hmm. Just having sort of very punctual micro learnings about specific areas. You know, why am I doing this? And being able to get sort of direct feedback on that and really useful. Um, and then also just, um, you know, making sure that, that is, you know, that they understand it's not just about technology, it is about process as well. Uh, and making sure that they have the right, the right procedural tools, uh, and knowledge, uh, in place as well, uh, super important. Then I think the last thing is, is really, um, metrics and analytics, you know, trying to do more with the information that we're storing because, and this goes for all of our, all, all of our clients in reality, you know, all, all, uh, all sizes of organization, but you know, the TMF really is a gold mine of information. There's a lot of stuff in there, which we don't really exploit today. Um, because it's difficult to extract. So the more, the more we can extract from documents or the more we can go away from documents and more towards data, the richer that, that environment is going to become. Um, and the more insights into what's happening into our study is going to give, uh, and that could potentially, um, you know, allow for a much more sort of, you know, a much richer environment that gives a lot more information to the clinical team on a day-to-day -day basis. And they may not even need a, a CTMS at that point because they have all the information they need, uh, in there. So I think that analytics is the future in tmf world we're not there yet but it's definitely something that we should be looking at very closely yeah absolutely and and the, what i would add to that is is kind of going back to what christina mentioned earlier around scalability right like i think it's really really important that systems can, can scale as you scale both up and maybe even down right sometimes things don't go to plan in our in our in our organization and we need to adjust um, but that doesn't mean that we're down and out and we're not going to come back to where we were and we need to be able to scale up and down as our organization does as well. And so I think today, maybe not all of the technology that's available to us actually, you know, allows us to, to do that. Um, so I think scalability is, is super important there to be able to leverage functionality that we might need in the, in the future that we don't need now. And like what you were saying, Christina, let's not pay for things that we don't need, right? Like clinical trials are expensive enough as they are. Let's try and, let's try and make sure that we can minimize that as much as possible so that we can get, you know, all of these amazing you know, therapies and treatments to patients as fast as possible. Yeah, I think one one other thing about paying for what you need is that like if we if the companies, you know, these organizations are having to maintain um, you know, training or validation for uh, a very large feature set, like the the resource cost is also very intensive there. So you need to have someone who's following that, right? Who's who is looking at the changes that your vendor is making to to the the full feature set, who's training your inter internal users. And a lot of the time, just the reality that smaller organizations, you know, won't have the the resource for that because you know they all have a very important day jobs. So, yeah. yeah, many many of many of our customers that we chat with don't have IT teams, right, and therefore don't have validation specialists and things like that. So, 
Therefore, you're relying on on external consultants and and other you know partners to be able to assist you in that, which which will always add cost, right? And I think you know here what we're trying to do is is try and find a path to lower the barrier to entry for smaller organizations to for those teams that are working on the next innovation to be able to access the tools that are going to help them do that better and help them do that faster. Um, and to be able to achieve that, we've got to rethink the way that that we select, implement, and use ETMF technology. Um, otherwise, we're we're not going to be able to lower that barrier enough. So, um, what, obviously, today's discussion I think was was great to talk about sort of what what are the issues when it comes to ETMF technology and and is it working for smaller organizations today? I think. You know, I, I think the, the 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 general consensus today is that, that it is working in parts, but we need to rethink uh, really what we're looking at. Um, if you guys are interested in learning a little bit more about some of the things that Montrem is doing in this area, you can head over to our website. Um, we recently launched a new uh, plan for our ETMF uh, product, which is really focused on the essential functionality that's required for smaller teams. So like many of you have mentioned in the chat, that ETMF light or um, sort of smaller scope system uh, is now available to to customers. So if you guys want to take a look at that, you can head over, head over to our website and learn a little bit more about what's included there. Uh, Paul, Christina, I want to thank you both for joining me on another session. Um, it's always fun having a uh, having a call with you guys and jumping onto the State of TMF Live uh, in this format. We do have another session coming up um, in, in two weeks' time, and then we'll be taking a small break um, because we've been back to back every couple of weeks. So we're going to take a small break, give you guys a break, give ourselves a break, and then we'll be back with uh, more great content coming soon. So again, Paul, Christina, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the State of TMF, a live event and podcast brought to you by Montreum, leaders in clinical quality and regulatory solutions for scaling life science organization. If you liked today's episode, hit the subscribe button, view the full episode with video on YouTube, and follow us on LinkedIn for more great content coming from Montreum soon. See you next time.